Welcome to the Innovation Oz podcast, where we talk to Australia's business leaders about public policy affecting tech-based innovation, from ag tech to financial services to advanced manufacturing. If you're interested in new thinking to encourage new action in building Australia's economy in transition, tune in each week. I'm your host, James Riley. Welcome to the Commercial Disco. I'm James Riley. Joining us today is the Australian Ambassador to the US, Arthur Sinodinas. Welcome, Ambassador. Thank you, James. Great to be with you again. Ambassador, we're obviously talking to you today about issues related to your current role, but you bring to that position years of experience in public service. You're a senator from New South Wales for a long time, and during that time, cabinet minister for a long time in the uh, Turnbull government. You're also industry minister, and that, I think, gives you an interesting perspective on some of the things that we'll talk about today. You started your role in February 2020, literally as COVID was unfolding. It's obviously been a very difficult year. I'm wondering if you can talk to me about what the trade relationship with the US kind of looks like now, 15 or 18 months on, and the impact that COVID's had on the way we work together. I have to tell you, James, the view over here at the moment is very bullish. The economy is recovering strongly, and uh, by about the second half of the year, it'll be growing at 6.5% or whatever on an annual basis. So very strong wind in their sails here. The stimulus monetary and fiscal last year and this year has really had an impact. I think also vaccinations are really starting to have an impact now. 40% of adult Americans are fully vaccinated. About 50 or 60% would have had at least one jab. And that's adding to people's confidence. So, for example, now when we go outside, if we're fully vaccinated, we don't have to wear a mask if we don't want to. So at the embassy, we're becoming a bit more liberal with what we're doing. Not entirely out of the woods yet. We've got a return to office plan, which means a graduated return of people to the office. Still COVID protocols in the office, but things are getting better. People are feeling better here. And so when it comes to economic opportunities and whatever, there's a really bullish atmosphere and you can see it to some extent in the stock market. You can see it also in the interest that American companies, American investors are showing in Australia. That's starting to go up again after a bit of a lull last year. So full steam ahead, mate. All right. So the nature of the trade relationship between Australia and the US, obviously, it's it's very broad and very deep. But impact of COVID, has the nature of that relationship changed at all? I'm thinking in terms of things like the mass digital transformation of corporations and governments and all the rest. How's that changed and what are the opportunities right now for Australian companies? Well, COVID has really accelerated digitisation, no doubt about it. We understand a lot more now about working from home and that will change working patterns both here and in Australia and elsewhere. The digitisation acceleration means there is a lot of interest in how to take that further. For example, here in the US, we're talking to the administration about a digital trade agreement, which can be modelled on the one we've got with Singapore. We prefer a regional model so that America, Australia, Singapore, Japan and others can set the rules and standards in the region. But that's something that's getting a lot of discussion here in Washington with people we work with. And so I would put that as the number one priority for us on trade at the moment. The um, other trade opportunities are opening up in terms of people looking at Australian sectors with particular attributes. For example, you would have seen on the stock exchange in Australia recently, there's been action around some major companies, Tritium, for example, which is in the sort of critical mineral space. 
which is important for electric vehicles, batteries and magnets and the like. And we're seeing other Aussie companies that are innovative now being approached by American investors. And we're going to see a lot more of that. And that's becoming quite exciting from uh, my perspective. And that's really been a direct impact of COVID coupled, I suppose, with some geopolitical tensions that there's been this pressure on supply chains. That's certainly the case in technology, shortage of chips, but there's also the critical minerals you mentioned. There is a heavy reliance on single source supplies from China in some of those areas. That's right, James. And Robin Denholm, the chairman of Tesla, who's an Australian, was talking about the opportunity for Australia, not just in the production of the actual minerals, not just the quarry bit, but the production, the processing of critical minerals and how that can lay the basis for domestic manufacturing capability, including in areas like electric vehicles. And so the point she was making, which I I endorse, is that we have got to grab those opportunities now because the administration is really interested. You mentioned critical minerals. They're interested in semiconductor chips. They've done deals with Taiwan on that to invest in the US. They've done deals with South Korea when President Moon was here a couple of Fridays ago to promote semiconductor chips, processing and production and all the rest of it. So we're finding a lot of these critical and emerging technologies as areas where the US wants to do more with its allies and partners. And to your point before, big focus on supply chains. How do we reconfigure supply chains given the experience of COVID. Some of this is about greater self-sufficiency supply, but the Americans realise they can't do it all on their own. So they're looking for trusted allies and partners. And they've got executive orders to look at five or six areas. It includes telecommunications, biotechnology, you mentioned semiconductor chips, critical minerals, health, etc. You go through the list, clean energy, All these are areas where the US wants to do more. We can do more with them. It's actually a huge opportunity for Australian innovators, and I'm quite excited about what we can do. So it sounds the the relationship is actually getting closer in this area. Have you had any discussions specifically on skills, trying to build not so much a bubble, but a, a skills bridge or special skills visa programs that enable a freer flow of those really top end talented people to come out and build those industries? Well, in Australia, we've got global talent programs which are ramping up. This was also part of the remit of Peter Verva when he put his business attraction and talent task force together and the recent budget built on that. So they're great selling points for us to say, look, we have a capacity now to do something that before seemed to be a lot more mired in red tape. Cut the red tape. We identify the, the people you as an innovative company want to bring into Australia. We can get them in very quickly now, much more quickly than we used to. We're saying to people, if you've got an essential business proposition you want to put, notwithstanding the entry restrictions or whatever, we can get you into Australia because it can potentially meet essential business needs. So let's get on with it and let's get the investing going, notwithstanding the fact that we're not fully over COVID yet. But I think there's more in the Australian mindset, I think there's more of a can-do mentality now than there has been in the past. And And I think one of the good things that programs like yours have done and others have done is to say, look, lift our horizons, we can actually do this and take a leaf out of Singapore and all these other countries where, you know, when investment comes along, they don't say, well, if you jump through all these hoops, fine, you can go through. They say, okay, how do we get this done? And that's the mentality that's coming through now. Okay. I want to step back in a couple of areas. One is obviously vaccination is a huge issue here in Australia. You went through the numbers in the US. Is that going to be an impediment, kind of slow ramping up of uh, the vaccine program? Secondly, unrelated, but 
on FERB when COVID hit, the FERB shutters came down somewhat. So how do those things get in the way of that uh, inward investment and relationship? Look, look, on vaccination, the point I made in the past, whether it's Australia, America, India, wherever, we have got to maximise the vaccination rollout and get as much of it done across the world as soon as possible. Because even if we manage to get it done overnight in America and Australia, if it's not done in developing countries, then that still gives scope for the virus to keep mutating and becoming more dangerous. So the important thing is for us to work not just on what we do for our domestic populations, but also what we do to maximise the vaccine rollout in developing countries in particular. So the work that we do with vaccine diplomacy with the US through the Quad and through the multilateral fora, COVAX and all these other multilateral facilities, very important that we do as much as we can. In Australia's case, we've taken responsibility for the Pacific, to do things in the Pacific and to help in Southeast Asia. So I think all of that is essential. You're right, vaccines, we just got to keep pumping out as much as we can. And if we can get more domestic production going, that helps with that, not just now, but for the future. Because one of the things we discussed in the Quad at the Leaders Summit, the virtual summit, was a step up in production because not just for this pandemic now, but because there will be future pandemics and we have to get ready for that. On uh, foreign investment, what happened during COVID, and it happened in a number of jurisdictions like ours, including the US and others, is that there was more controls put over foreign investment. In our case, part of it was a concern that if Aussie companies were struggling, they might be cheaper and easier to take over. And we didn't want that just to happen like that, as it were, sleepwalking through that process. Since then, we've passed rules around national security businesses. Other countries are doing similar things because, as you alluded to before, with this geostrategic competition, there's a question about companies that are in sensitive sectors, and this is where critical and emerging technologies come in. There's a lot of sensitivity as to who buys what. And what I'm looking at in that sector, to be honest, between you and me, is to make sure that those foreign investment rules are not an impediment in particular to American companies who want to do more in Australia, particularly to help Aussie startups to get going. All right. That's one of my, I've got a vested interest in that process going well. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But first, I want to ask you, there's a general feeling that the Biden administration remains somewhat protectionist as measured against maybe pre-Trump years. Protectionist is a strong word, I suppose. But uh, let me ask you this. He has signed an executive order. It's effectively made in America. It's effectively a buy American executive order. Now, as someone who has contacts into the White House, what does that mean for Australian companies? How does it square with the Australia-US free trade agreement? And uh, what does it mean for Australian companies selling into government contracts in the US? You're right. There has been a lot of focus here on Buy American under the last administration, and it's continued under this one. And there have been executive orders looking at if supply chains are reconfigured, how does the US maximise domestic production? But they've recognised, even as they're doing those executive orders, that allies and partners do have a role to play. And it's been explicit that, you know, for those of us who are in free trade agreements with the US and who are involved with the global procurement agreements and all the rest of it through the WGA and all the rest of it, It's not going to infringe on those obligations. We recognise that the US has made, or this administration has made election commitments about a middle-class foreign policy. How does it make trade policy work for American workers, promote good union, high-paying jobs? That's how they put it. But within that, 
they recognize the role of allies and partners. So whether it's in the defense industry sector or other sectors they've identified as priorities, we think there's plenty of scope for cooperation. And we think Australia, where I believe we have a comparative advantage in a number of areas of science and technology, it's a particularly good time to be engaging with the US with this mindset here. Okay, so let's talk about, you you mentioned earlier this idea of trusted entities. How far along in discussions are you whereby a US company could be considered, inverted commas, trusted entity in dealings with the Australian government? And would that have a reciprocal arrangement for Australian companies selling into US public procurement? Look, I think a lot of it depends on the sector. The sectors they've identified in their executive orders, the ones we talked about before, whether it's around health, clean energy, Uh, you go through the list, allies and partners are explicitly mentioned. So what they're looking for is how do they complement what the US can do with what allies and partners can do, right? So in our case, if I look at defence industry, what are the gaps in the US that Australian capabilities in our defence industry can meet? That's probably the best way to sell Australian involvement with the US in some of these areas is that we complement each other. Critical minerals is another example. There'll be critical minerals they don't have in any great volume, we do have. We're a trusted partner. We can either dig them up, sell them over here, or we can dig them up, process them and sell them over here. But they would see that as a valuable complementary activity from their point of view. And then on emerging technologies like quantum computing, where we have some expertise in this country, I guess you'd be looking for both talent and input from that side and potentially money and commercial partners. Well, we have a frontier tech dialogue going on with the US government. It was on last year, notwithstanding COVID. It'll be on again this year. And that covers exactly the sort of areas you mentioned. Artificial intelligence and machine learning, quantum computing, hypersonics. It covers space, critical minerals, research integrity, biotechnology. And so the whole point of that is to identify those emerging areas. Where can we work together and importantly, set rules and standards in these emerging industries. And this is something we're also pursuing in the Quad, US, Japan, Australia, and India. We have a working group on critical and emerging technologies looking exactly those areas and how do we set rules and standards so that we can have the appropriate sort of development of these sectors and how can we, if you like, have rules in those sectors that other countries, like the Chinese and others, follow rather than have them setting the rules in order to have their domestic or national champions dominate those sectors. What we want is a rules-based order with competition, but not one where national champions of one country can just dominate it by setting the rules and standards. Okay, and that's, uh, I mean, that goes to the heart of the whole 5G thing, I I suppose. Can I ask you, and I'm, I'm backing up here to something you said very early on, you guys are in discussion now on a digital trade agreement between the US yeah. and Australia. Your preferences for a regional thing. Can you step me through what's on the agenda and what you know what Australia hopes to have on that? It would cover payment systems. It would cover issues like data localization, data privacy. Basically, how do we break down the barriers and set rules and standards in this space that particularly encourage SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises, to be able to trade more digitally across borders. We particularly put a focus on SMEs because they employ a lot of people and we think that would appeal to the US when it talks about a worker-centred trade policy. In some ways, I think it can be low-hanging fruit because, as I mentioned before, we have prototypes like the Australia-Singapore Agreement. The US has its own agreements on digital in the region. And the digital economy is an area that 
as I alluded to, is expanding very quickly. So it's a good one to do this. So if payment systems, for example, can be standardized and recognized across borders, that's a big help, particularly the smaller companies. It's not so much the bigger companies that get helped, it's the smaller ones that get the leg up. So we think that's quite an important thing to do, and we think that can appeal to the administration. Can I just ask the view from the US in the people that you deal with? I mean, obviously, we're kind of branded as a quarry and a farm in many ways, but you've seen some of the smart companies that come out of here in our tech space. Is it hard to get conversations going with people now in the US about that innovation sector and the potential for collaboration and engagement, or is it well recognised? Look, James, I think in the sectors that take an interest in this, and I'm thinking, for example, venture capital, there's a lot of interest in what is happening in Australia. And you can see the money that's going into venture capital in Australia and the competition that's creating with local venture capital firms in Australia and investing in their own local tech startups and the like. So we don't have a problem getting the conversation started and we don't have a problem with the money necessarily flowing. You alluded before, we have to make sure in areas like foreign investment that you know, unintentional consequences don't occur in terms of the rules making it harder for American companies to do things there that might have been intended. But with the CSIRO over here, with the landing pads we've got in places like San Francisco, with Afterpay being a big hit over here these days, and so you get all these examples of these local champions that you know come over here and do really well. I think there's a lot of consciousness, and I think there's a recognition when it comes to us being a quarry and a farm that actually we're quite sophisticated in those areas as well. And we just had Twiggy Forest over here, Spruiking Forest Future Industries, where he's talking about green hydrogen, green steel, green ammonia, and all that sort of stuff. Now, he is talking as an iron ore person who is basically converting his organisation over time into a green energy organisation. That's why he talks about Forest Future Industries. And we use those cases to showcase here in the US the sort of transformations that are occurring in Australia and sometimes they may not be as easy to see from abroad, but when we bring people over and publicise them, it gets quite a reaction. So in his case, there were discussions with the government here, the US government, about the role that the US and others may play in terms of the future of forest future industries. All right. It's great to see uh, Australian companies when they are successful in the US and uh, championing others to come through. I suppose it'll uh, make life a lot easier when we can all jump on a plane and uh, and go and sell things firsthand. Look, I'm going to finish up now, Ambassador. I just wanted to ask you, you sound slightly fatuous, but your impressions of the last 15 months in the role, how's the US? Are you optimistic about where things go from here? There's a lot going on in the world right now. You're right. There's a lot going on in the world. As I mentioned before, economically, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. I think the administration is pushing hard to get its legislation through. It's got some major pieces of legislation to come on infrastructure and clean energy. It's got a big family assistance plan. A lot of these are equity measures that it wants to get through. And of course, it has only a slim majority in the House of Representatives and a one-vote advantage in the Senate. And it's got midterm elections next year where often there's a reaction to the administration of the day. So they're in a hurry to get going. So that's the challenge. How much of that program of the administration will land before the election where there may be, again, a switch in terms of the composition of the Congress? So there is a lot of interesting things going on. I think I'd say the administration, when it comes to foreign policy, has hit the ground running, really focused on allies and partners, 
very clear message to China about working with allies and partners. To us, the message is you're not going to be in this alone. We're going to help you on economic coercion. We're having a dialogue with the US. What does that mean in practice? What forms of help? What role will World Trade Organization play, et cetera, et cetera? For me, the big surprise with the administration is notwithstanding the slender majorities in the Congress, how ambitious their plans are. They're really wanting to move the dial. People here don't talk about making a contribution. They talk about making a commitment. And that's the big thing. And, you know, in a funny way, it encourages me when I think about my job here to think big and to say, Australia has so many possibilities. Let's get on with it. Let's get them publicised to the world, which is why it's great to talk to you. And you're always so optimistic and forward-looking. Well, there's nothing nothing wrong with ambition. Certainly nothing wrong with ambition. And uh, we see that I'm sure Twiggy Forrest has a few things to say about that also. Ambassador Sinodinas, thank you so much for joining us on the Commercial Disco and uh, all the best with your role in Washington. No, thanks. Great to be with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Innovation Oz podcast. Please like, subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you heard us. And please go over to our website, innovationoz.com. Check out our recent stories on tech, innovation and policy. Or follow us up on social media to ask any questions or be a guest on the show. Until next time, this is Innovation Oz wishing you a great week ahead.